Welcome to Letters to Women, a podcast where we embrace and explore what it means to live out the feminine genius in our everyday daily lives as Catholic women. My name is Chloe Langer, and today we're having a conversation about how to pray for your marriage and with your spouse. I know you're listening to this episode the day after or days after Valentine's Day, but I wanted to share a conversation about some lifelong daily practices to strengthen your marriage and your prayer life every day of the year, not just on Valentine's Day. So unwrap another one of those Valentine's Day clearance chocolates with me and let's dig in. I'm going to be sitting down with Dr. Sarah and we're talking about Cana Feast. It's a marriage ministry that she founded with her husband, Nathan, and she's giving some really practical nitty gritty ways that they found make a big difference in couples marriages from how to get over the awkwardness of praying together to making time for each other in seasons of change and prioritizing your marriage when schedules are tight or babies are little or teenagers are up all hours of the day. Regardless of the season of marriage that you find yourself in, there is going going to be something here for you. If you're a married woman and you want to learn how to pray with your spouse, or if you're not married, but feel the Lord calling you to that vocation and you want to know how to prepare your heart for that season, sister, this letter is for you. Friends, my brand new book, Letters to Women, Embracing the Feminine Genius in Everyday Life, published by Tan Books, is coming to a bookstore near you or to your very own front porch in less than a month from now. The countdown is on to March 9th and it'll be here before we know it. This new book is a collection of 30 letters from ordinary women, each inspired by the teachings of Pope St. John Paul II. If you pre-order Letters to Women, not only do you guarantee yourself a copy of the book, but you also get access to an exclusive Letters to Women podcast mini-series, where I'm sitting down with the women who contributed letters to the book and getting to know their stories and the story behind the letter that they wrote and how they live out the feminine genius in their daily life. The mini-series is just one way to connect with women who contributed letters to the book, You can also get to know the women who contributed letters by following along for Takeover Tuesdays over on the Letters to Women Instagram account. Head over to my website, letterstowomenpodcast.com, where you can find all the details about the pre-order miniseries and how to order your own copy of Letters to Women, Embracing the Feminine Genius in Everyday Life. This episode of the Letters to Women podcast is sponsored by House of Joppa. Matthew and Tabitha created House of Joppa to offer a chic, modern vision of Catholic home decor. I've been a longtime fan of House of Joppa, and one of my favorite pieces of theirs is the Sacred Heart Medallion. It's absolutely gorgeous. Letters to Women listeners get 15% off their order at checkout with the code LETTERS15. That's one word all caps, letters one five. Check out the link to House of Joppa in the show notes or visit their website at houseofjoppa.com. That's houseofjoppa.com. Now let's dive into this conversation with Dr. Sarah Bartell. Today, I'm welcoming Dr. Sarah Bartell to the show. She and her husband, Nathan, are the founders of Cana Feast, which you can find at canafeast.com, supporting online Catholic marriage enrichment. She is a moral theologian, the co-host of Enduring Love Radio on Sacred Heart Radio, and the co-editor of A Catechism for Family Life. Sarah and Nathan raised their four daughters and one son in Western Washington. Sarah, welcome to Letters to Women. It's so good to have you on the podcast. Oh, it's a delight to be here, Chloe. Thank you so much. So in today's episode of Letters to Women, we're going to be talking about Cana Feast, which is a marriage enrichment community that you founded with your husband, as well as practical tips for couples who are wanting to grow in love on more than just Valentine's Day, this once a year holiday, and then also your advice for women who are listening who may not be married yet, but feel a call to that vocation. But before we dive into all of those wonderful subjects, Sarah, can you tell me a little bit about your story as a Catholic woman? Mm-hmm. Well, I was raised Catholic. I have an uncle who's a Catholic priest here in the Archdiocese of Seattle, where I was raised and live now. And my you know, parents raised me in the faith. Um, my grandmother has just been a wonderful influence as well. But it was really when I was a teenager 
that I got on fire for the faith on my own. Um, I made a consecration to Our Lady and um, read the catechism, which had just come out at that time. John Paul II was Pope. It was really a wonderful time to come alive to my faith. Um, I pursued um, studies in, you know, I really like school. So (laughs) I just kept going and going. (laughs) And um, after I met and married my husband, went to the Catholic University of America for studies in moral theology. Um, But, you know, a funny thing happened there. God really spoke to my heart. I had previously been envisioning my future as an academic, being a professor, um, maybe a consultant at a hospital or something if I went into bioethics, but, you know, a full-time professional. And God really gave me the desire to be a full-time presence at home with my kiddos. (laughs) I started having, um, started having my children while I was in graduate studies, which was delightful. Actually, that's a fun story because as many of the listeners might know, at the Catholic University of America, that's where a lot of the diocese send their seminarians, their priests who they want to get, you know, further degrees. So in my graduate level theology classes in the seminars, we would all be sitting around the table discussing the writings of John Paul II, for example, and the priests and and seminarians there where they're clerics. So there are all these men in Roman collars, maybe, you know, um, an Eastern Rite bishop or seminarian or two in in their specific clerics, one other layperson, a guy, of course, and then a pregnant woman. That would be me. (laughs) Or later, the woman nursing the baby in class, the infant that, you know, her the professors allowed her to bring to class. That was me. So one of these things is not like the other (laughs) in those and it was so wonderful to be studying John Paul II's writings on the dignity and vocation of women while experiencing this whole new dimension of my own femininity as I became a mother. It was like I had the practicum right there in my arms, as well as, you know, the, the concepts and principles and deeper meaning in my studies. And it was just such a gift. And I knew that I wanted to continue to really combine those two. So when I finished my degree, what, that ended up taking in lots of different directions. Um, for a while, I was just home full-time, homeschooling, you know, little kids, little girls, um, and figuring out what that meant, leaning on a community of women. Um, after a little bit, I knocked on the door of my archdiocese and said, hey, I have this degree. I'd love to volunteer for something. Can I help with anything? And I got connected to the um, marriage and family life office and started volunteering to review marriage prep curricula. And that just led me, you know, one thing led to another where I got really, you know, seeing that the curricula that most parishes in our diocese were using at the time broke my heart because they were so inadequate and so lacking. And I I had just, you know, been fresh off my theology degree. I knew how rich and beautiful and inspiring our theology of marriage and family are, and like our couples need to, you know, they have a right to access it. So really got a personal sense of mission about trying to um, revitalize marriage ministry. Um, and at the same time, my own husband and I, after having gone through a lot of different experiences, being grad students together, um, there was some job loss, there was some exhaustion, depression, we went through some highs and lows in our marriage. And during the lows, we went on a, 
a Theology of the Body retreat run by a, a ministry called Living in Love, and that was just a huge, huge blessing for us. We experienced a great renewal and transformation. Um, even though I had studied the Theology of the Body in grad school, it really was a conversion, um, not just intellectually, but of, of how to put this into practice in my daily life. And my husband and I learned in a, in a lived practical level, how we could be self-gift to each other in a way that the other would feel and would give us energy and uplift us through the day. So that's just been a lot of what we've been wanting to bring to couples. For a long time, we did marriage prep together at the parish level and then later at the diocesan level when we designed a marriage prep retreat for our diocese. Um, we did marriage enrichment retreats for living in love. And then as time went on, we saw more and more that a lot of our friends who really wanted to come on these weekend retreats were unable to do so because they couldn't get babysitting for a whole weekend or um, their kids were too young to leave or maybe one or the other of the spouses worked on the Saturday or Sunday. Um, and so we really wanted to find a way to bring the benefits of marriage retreats to couples in a way that, you know, they could access it in their normal daily life. So that was the birth of Canopy. So that might have answered two questions in one, but <laughs> that's the story. When Joseph and I had been married, we hadn't even been married a year yet. Someone sent us on a living in love retreat at our parish. And then we absolutely oh. loved it when you were saying that it makes theology of the body tangible. It gives you a practical way of life. Holy smokes, that nails it. We still have practices in our daily marriage that we learned on that retreat almost four years ago and then have been on team and then have been trained as mentor couples. So you're speaking my language. I know exactly what all of this, this curriculum and, and these programs and ways of life look like. So that's just beautiful to see. Yeah to see a resource for couples who who that isn't possible for because you're right especially when little people are in the picture getting a weekend away is very challenging to say the least absolutely that's so neat that you know about the living in love retreats as well and have experienced it because it's not everywhere in the country and in the world it's you know just some regions have it so that's really neat but i believe now with the pandemic i think they might be doing something online and we started cana feast before the pandemic thinking you know let's use the internet and get online and use that. We got a Zoom account, which was really, really this novel thing way back in 2019. Oh, oh Zoom, the household name these days. Yes, the verb now. That's so providential to be able to get set up and, and start things off before a pandemic hit. And a lot of people were forced to pivot online. And so to have that as an intention and to start it out that way, way before COVID was even a thought in our mind, that's beautiful so providential. You know, we officially started and launched Cana Feast, I believe it's July 14th, the Feast of St. Louis and Belly Martin. And it was two weeks before our little son was born, July 25th um, of that same month. And so it was really a beautiful experience of giving birth. Um, you know, we had been gestating the idea for Cana Feast and preparing and forming and then brought it into the world just a few weeks before bringing our little son into the world. And it was, it was really wonderful to be able to do that. Yeah. I love thinking about how Cana Feast is born right around the same time that you're going through the physical process of labor and delivery, but then also thinking back when you were earning your theology degree and with your littles and, and very much having the lived experience of learning about John Paul II. So the tangible aspect of, of your story is really beautiful when it comes to the feminine genius. Well, it really it, it, I learned so much all around that time. Again, through God's providence, 
I was directed towards um, a natural approach to birth um, for my first daughter. As I was in a bioethics course, um, I, I could take courses at the, Saint, at the John Paul II Institute for Studies in Marriage and Family. So I took one course there um, in bioethics from Dr. William May, and I was writing a paper, um, a term paper on natural birth because I'd just been, you know, preparing for it for my, my daughter's birth um, and seeing all these connections with personalism and authentic feminism as well. And, you know, how we respect the woman's body and, um, you know, the dignity of the person. And in natural birth, you know, when we look at the process of labor, there's, you know, there's the, the, um, that the early stages of labor that it intensifies. Then you go through a period known as transition where you, you kind of just want to stop and you walk away from the whole thing. You're done. It's really intense, crucial um, little bit there, but that means you're almost done. You're almost ready to, to push. And I really felt every step of that process when I was writing my dissertation, <laughs> you know, I worked on it kind of slow and steady for a while. Then, you know, got more and more done. And then, then there's this part where I was just ready to throw in my, you know, throw the towel in and uh, quit the whole thing and walk away from it all. And that was just the transition phase where I just had to get through those final few pushes to bring that into the world. <laughs> oh, man, this is so true. I'm getting ready to go into, well, not right now, but thankfully, uh, go into labor with our second daughter here in March. And so as you're mentioning all of these processes and the stages of labor, yep, that's coming. I know what that's like. So, yep, I just love comparing things to labor because I think it's such a rich analogy when it comes to our spiritual life and our, yeah, our interior and then exterior circumstances that we navigate as women in today's world. So I just think it's the perfect analogy. And it's such a gift we have as women to share our lived experience of that, you know, bring that dimension to our work in the church and the world and the family. And uh, yeah, I think that's what St. John Paul II calls on us to do as women is to bring the riches of our femininity and to bear in these various spheres. We're talking about a lot of changes in different seasons uh, of our own lives, but I know that listeners know too, and maybe uh, if they're married as a couple, they've gone through different seasons of change and transition in their marriage. Maybe that's new homes or a new job or new babies or new life circumstances. How can married couples navigate those seasons of change with grace? And then also recognize that those seasons of change can impact and, and change their marriage some for the better. Absolutely. I mean, that's something we can count on is that things are going to keep changing and each new stage, each new season has gifts for us, but it also challenges us to stretch, to let go of things. And I would say for couples to be able to ease through those with grace and stay connected with each other, all the practices that you and your husband and me and my husband have learned in Living in Love and that Nathan and I teach through Cana Feast are really essential daily couple prayer, um, gratitude and affirmation, um, just daily rituals of connection, because then your marriage, your relationship will be resilient in times of stress and change. Um, I think for us, the practice that has helped us most is the daily spontaneous couple prayer. Um, we had never seen models of this before we went on our living and love retreat because it's by nature kind of a private thing right you don't like get to pull back the curtains and peek into people's bedrooms and see how they're praying together as husband and wife so unless you've grown up with a mom and dad who do it you're not really necessarily going to know so that was a huge game changer for us 
Um, and when we had been praying with each other other ways throughout our day, we would pray together at night before bed. We pray with our family, grace before meals, of course, and a family rosary in the evening. Um, but praying for our marriage at the beginning of the day with words from the heart and for each other, that's the thing that really helps me feel that sense of being cherished, being seen, being anointed and covered with with God's grace and blessing. Like when Nathan, you know, is holding me in his arms and, or, you know, we're holding hands um, and, and he asked God to, you know, thank, thanks God for his wife and for our marriage and then ask him to bless me and the things I have going on that day. And I'll do the same for him. I'll just pray specifically for what I know he has on his plate that day. And I will give prayers of thanks for the good things I see in Nathan, which are numerous. <laughs> He's an amazing man. Um, and, you know, if we have something big going on, we'll be praying for that too. And I think that just really helps us remember that we are carried in a bigger love in God's love that our sacramental grace is real. It's there. And this is the way we feel like, I guess, most concretely that we're tapping into it. Clearly receiving communion, the other sacraments, going to confession, we're, we're also, that impacts our, the grace of our sacrament of marriage. And I try to remember to pray for my husband when I receive communion as well, but it's that, I guess, because it's so personal and intimate. It's that prayer one-on-one with each other where I feel a sense of strength for the whole day ahead or for whatever it is we're facing in that season of life. And we've got some things coming in. We have a baby. Having babies is a big transition. But our oldest baby, that little girl that I nursed in my arms in my (laughs) graduate-level theology seminars, she's 17 now and heading off to college in a year and a half. And I am like, you know, huge secret here. I am freaking out about the thought of saying goodbye or that transition. It's not goodbye forever, but it's like my baby is going to be stepping out the doors into the wide world. So I'm really leaning into this grace and asking Nathan to pray for me to like prepare for that and empower her and me and our whole family to go through that transition in a really positive, resilient way. Um, So, yeah. So I would say that couple prayer is big, but also, um, I mentioned gratitude and affirmation because the more we're pouring positivity into our relationship, the more it's going to lift us up and build us up and we'll be more resilient and able to handle all these changes. So you're, you know, thanking your husband specifically for his acts of service, for the good things he's doing. You're, you're praising him for how awesome he is in various ways. That's really good communication. Like he's going to hear that. <laughs> he's going to hear you say. He might not hear, you know, your request to, to handle a certain chore or whatnot, but <laughs> but he'll hear that. Like, oh, honey, you are so you are so good with the kids when you explain that math problem. Or, wow, that was awesome. You know how you, I don't know, fixed the drain or whatever it is. He did. Um, made the internet work again, for example. That's so important. And it helps, it trains your own vision as well, because the more you look for the good in your husband, the more the more you're going to find. And the more you realize, like, oh, there's so much good here. And and our relationship is such a blessing. And so all these various things that we're facing, you know, they they take on less, I don't know, less gravity or 
not less savvy. I'm not quite sure how to say it, but anyway, we're, we're able to approach it from a stronger position. I think too, it's really beautiful to have those, whether it's affirmation or couples prayer, um, that's more, more spontaneous to have those being a daily ritual is really beautiful to have that be the anchor of the day. Cause I think at least my experience in my marriage with seasons of change and transition transition has been sometimes, sometimes it's very tempting to say, well, you know, gosh, dang it today we have a job interview or we need to pack up things to move or the baby was up all night or fill in the blank of what that experience has been. So the first thing to get tossed out seemingly would be prayer because we're in a rush and we need to get things done and that's not on the to-do list and we need to we need to just move on with our day. But having that as a ritual that's practiced when it seems like there's an abundance of time or when there is zero time at all has been such an anchor in, in our marriage because it's that habit that we've formed where we know that we, we're going to connect for daily prayer as a couple on a regular basis. And that has really been incredibly, yeah, a life changer and a game changer when it comes to navigating seasons of change. Well, and when you get it to the point where it's a habit, you know, kind of like brushing your teeth, <laughs> your whole day doesn't really feel right if you miss it. And so days when we are rushed too, even if it's like Nathan's already started his Zoom call for work and I've already got kids who need breakfast and are, you know, pulling on my leg, we'll just like lunge at each other and bless each other's foreheads with our thumb and just, you know, mouth the words, God bless you and keep you. And you know what? Then we've made a connection and we have invoked God's grace <laughs> in a sacramental way <laughs> in our marriage. So. It's definitely something that can flex. You know, you can, if you have more time, you can pray longer, but we'd like to keep it even in general, like a minute or two, um, just as far as giving practical tips. And this is something we have on our website on canafeast.com. We have a free guide to couple prayer where we show examples from seven other couples and like even a little script you can use just to make this more accessible and pull back the veil a little bit to show how some other couples are praying with each other as well. For women who are listening, who are part of couples, even if they've been married for years, I think the idea of praying together can sometimes be incredibly intimidating or awkward and partially due to the fact, like you said, we don't really see this yeah, in our daily lives as an example to lean on. And so I think that resource is incredibly helpful. Do you have any tips for couples on how to navigate a shared prayer life together while also maintaining their own prayer life as individual men and women? Yeah, that's a great question because we really do need both. We do need our own individual prayer life. And I think a lot of Catholics who take their faith seriously, we know that, you know, we know we should be spending minimum like 15 minutes or so a day in, in private prayer. Um, and also finding a way to connect with your spouse in prayer, you know, even if that spontaneous prayer feels a little too cringy or awkward, Maybe you can pray in Our Father and a Hail Mary together. Like most Catholics know those words and, you know, you can, you can do that together. It's, it's not too hard. Um, but knowing that you're going to be doing both. Maybe, and I see this, you know, when I think about our retirement, and I, um, my husband and I actually had this lovely interview with my grad school mentor, Dr. John Grabowski, and his wife, Claire, who are just this beautiful couple, also very involved in marriage ministry with marriage prep, but um, we were talking with them um, about two years ago about what their prayer, their couple prayer life looks together. And oh my goodness, they pray morning prayer together. They pray like the chaplet of the divine mercy together during a daily, oh, they have a daily rosary walk together. And I was like getting so excited for my golden, you know, the, the years when <laughs> our kids are grown up and <laughs> we can do that daily rosary walk together. Wow. 
was so lovely. But um, that is not where we're are. we are right now. And I have practices that, um, you know, have gone through different stages. I have a, an evening 15-minute prayer practice of doing an Ignatian examen according to this particular um, method taught by a Jesuit priest, Father Bill Watson, who's in the Seattle area here. And he has a sacred story institute where he kind of teaches this. It's like updated with modern psychology, this way to, to get do a, an exam. And for a long time, I had been inviting Nathan to do that with me um, in the evening, and we would do that like right before bed. And then I realized, and we kind of both realized over time, I really need that. And my personality really like requires that as well. Like I'm an introvert, and I need quiet, quiet time and time to go deep. Um, Nathan really needs spiritual reading. I like it too, but like we kind of realized in order to do both of our things, like I'd need to count on doing my 15 minute examen privately if I want to be a hundred percent sure to get it done. Um, and same with him. Like he is going to have some spiritual reading time in the evening that's separate from things that we do together. So I think being flexible and aware and vulnerable with each other to be able to stay truly what you're noticing I think those are keys to finding that balance and, and being able to know yeah like you said your marriage as a relationship and what is good and and helpful there in terms of growing together as a couple towards the Lord but then also being aware of your needs like knowing I am an introvert I do need introvert time that's really beautiful and to be able to express those needs in a marriage is really important again when it comes to communication which if as many of listeners who know who are married communication is definitely key and it's not a cliche <laughs> it's reality yes absolutely <laughs> we have talked about how going on a retreat with your spouse can be an incredible experience we've both had this experience in our own marriages and it seems like a lot of couples have a lot more time on their hands now with everyone kind of being in different stages of shutdowns and life changes, but retreats are also incredibly hard to come by with COVID restrictions and coordinating things can be a big impediment to going on a retreat with your spouse. Can you share a little bit more about what a Cana Feast membership looks like and what it offers couples mm -hmm. who are looking for resources to strengthen their marriage in, in their own home? Yeah. So we really strive to make this doable and regular for couples because the other thing with a lot of retreats is that you're having an amazing weekend but then the biggest problem comes Monday morning when it's your regular life again and you have to integrate what you experienced on the retreat with your Monday morning life right so we love the idea of making this a regular part of your life through what we offer which are monthly mini retreats so we create um a video and a worksheet like reflection exercise worksheet each month on a particular theme and normally couples can do these in about an hour or hour and a half sometimes more sometimes less um, and that really you know you're doing this in your own living room and we coach couples on how to make their living room which is you know your regular old space you're in uh, <laughs> most of us all day long now unless you're an essential worker out in the out in the world, how to make that more retreat like? You know, we we tell you how to tidy up the clutter or shove it all in one closet, light a candle, play some music, <laughs> get some lovely snacks, and and you know prepare the environment, and then enter into this mini retreat experience. Um, so it, themes that we've had past retreats on include topics like um, NFP, finances. 
dating and romance in your marriage, forgiveness. Um, I'm just trying to think. We're going to create, in fact, tonight, my husband and I are going to record a retreat for our next month's content. And we're focusing on communication, like you had just mentioned. So that is the bread and butter of the membership. Those who enroll in Cana Feast have access to that retreat. And then we also have guest experts come in regularly and speak either on that theme or something else that's just enriching and good for couples to know. We've had um, counselors, NFP instructors, um, Amanda uh, Texera of WalletWin came in to speak about finances. Yeah. I had mentioned Father Bill Watson in the Sacred Story program, and he actually came and spoke about Ignatian spirituality for us. Uh, so it's just been really a joy to be able to bring in these experts through Zoom calls to our members who are now around the world. They're not just Canada and North America. Now we have members in the Middle East, in Hong Kong, in um, Europe, and the Philippines. It's it's really been humbling to see how God has used this to reach couples we never would have had contact with um, previously. Yeah. So, and then the, the other thing that we do for couples is if couples want to speak with us one-on-one, we can do a Zoom call with them to, you know, talk through an issue or just get to know each other better and just, you know, have a boost that way. And then we also review once a month or so, we will review another book or program or video series that we think couples might benefit from because there's a lot out there. And um, it's nice to get a little snip, like a high-level overview of like, is that marriage book worth a read or this video series or whatnot? Who is it good for? That's really practical and helpful too. I know that when it comes to things like in-home date nights for Joseph and I, it can be something that we've thought about doing, but then practically, what does that look like? And it just seems like you said, it seems kind of weird to have the same space that we do zoom calls and work from then become a date place when we've gotten to this, this mindset of like, oh, a date is leaving the house and doing something that's new. (laughs) Um, So I love that you help couples set the scene that way. That's incredibly helpful and tangible. But then just to have something where it's, it's planned. I don't, I show up and I have an intention to connect with my spouse, but then the coordinator of it is is taken care of by you guys, which takes a lot of load off of the planning of a date night practically. Well, our real goal is to facilitate good conversations because, you know, you could also have an at-home date night where you watch a movie together and nosh on snacks and then pass out and go to bed, right? Like just speaking as a parent of many kids, like that's also a real, (laughs) um, you know, you you can slide into that and miss the chance to have a really meaningful conversation, to really reflect together. Um, some of the worksheet uh, reflection exercises we've provided for couples have sparked them to have just these beautiful conversations while they're snuggled up together in their own you know, living room, cuddled up on their couch, and reflect on like, oh, how have we had experiences of forgiveness um, you know, over the course of our relationship? And what do we want our forgiveness for each other to look like in the future? Like that's going to help you grow a lot more than Netflix, <laughs> for example. <laughs> It's true. 100%. (laughs) We've been talking a lot about marriage, which is the vocation that both of us are living. But for women who are listening who may not be married yet, but maybe they clicked play because they're either exploring God's call to the sacrament of marriage or they're in a relationship or maybe they're engaged. What would your top piece of advice be to them before they have a wedding band on their hand? Well, I would say a couple things. If you're at the stage where you're 
looking for a good husband, my go-to is St. Joseph. I would just recommend to really lean into prayer and your relationship with St. Joseph to help you find a wonderful man. And I say that because personally, that's what I did. I, for a while, I had been considering religious life, and then I really felt God calling me to consider marriage and family and realized, ooh, this is actually the deepest desire of my heart, but how do I make sure, you know, how do I find a really good man? Well, St. Joseph was such a great husband, best ever. So I asked him to help me find a husband. And in fact, I did a junior year study abroad in Paris. So when I was in France, every time I came to a beautiful cathedral or shrine or like the Chapel of the Miraculous Medal at Rue de Bac in Paris, there's always a St. Joseph altar. And I would go and kneel there and pray for St. Joseph's help to find a wonderful husband. Well, senior year, I came back, met Nathan. There, you know, we really fell for each other, but there were some obstacles. It's kind of a long story. Um, but by the spring of that senior year, we had begun dating and his birthday came up. And guess what? It was March 19th. Aww, Chloe, do you know who he say that is? Joseph's Day. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so he's one we've just been recommending people to pray to for finding a future spouse and even to prepare for your marriage, um, to really look at his spirit. He is all for his, his beloved. Um, he is a man of service and humility. And this is something, a bit of advice Nathan has given, which I think is really wise when you're discerning, is this a good man or woman to marry? And this is the question that you can use as a litmus test. Is this someone who is capable of sacrificing their own wants for other people's needs. If you see evidence that they're able to do that, then they're going to be able to live the vocation of marriage where it's total gift of self, right? It's not, (laughs) I'm in this because it will serve me well and I will get what I want by entering into marriage because it's nice for me. No, it is the cross, the life-giving cross, but all the same, you're dying to yourself all the time. So... Uh, can they do that? Do you see examples of them able to set aside their own preferences, um, you know, and, and deny themselves at times um, in a healthy way, but in order to serve others? So I would say that's a good thing to look for. This day and age, sad to say, I would say in most cases, if you're preparing for marriage, going to need to look at is porn addiction something that has shown up for either of us? And let's just address that and heal it because that is just going to be a non-starter you know it's such a huge problem and it really hinders your ability to live self-gift to be a husband to be a wife in the fullest sense to be a parent Um, so I'm going to have to say that really looking in for all the resources you can get and get unaddicted and heal that from that would be a big one. Yeah. Especially before a wedding to be able to have the grace to navigate that healing and being honest with each other and, and clearly communicate the reality of the situation and, and addiction if it's present before marriage. Yes. I guess on a happier and lighter note, just because Nathan and I have a really a good money story where we we were poor grad students for a long time. We didn't really know. We knew a lot about abstract concepts and, you know, theology and philosophy, but we did not know a lot about how to handle money. So this is a big learning curve for us. And we finally got into some great resources and had a debt-free journey and paid off all our debt, including our mortgage, um, and felt like really good and empowered about that. So 
I would say also that's something that you can begin before you get married. Anything you can do to get those financial skills and start paying off as much of your debt as you can. I don't know. To me, that seems a lot easier and lighter than like <laughs> digging out that <laughs> that porn addiction. It's true. It's true. And there's so, like you said, there's so many good resources out there when it comes to learning about your finances, whether you're a single woman or you're dating in whatever season of life. It is never a bad time to learn about finances and being a good steward of the gifts you've been given. Yeah. And learning about NFP as well. That's a huge one. And we could have a whole other like segment, you know, a whole other episode just talking about that. But you're a huge fan of learning your body's fertility signs and being able to communicate that with each other. And that's just been such a huge blessing in our marriage. But we're here to tell you that like we practiced NFP from the beginning. We knew this was the church's teaching. We wanted to follow it. We embraced it. It wasn't enough to guarantee like a lifetime of happy marriage. So I think sometimes we have this sense of false confidence that if you just follow church teaching and you're both committed Catholics, Ta-da! Happy marriage. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out we're, as people, as humans, there's so many facets to us that just, I would say developing yourself as much as you can to be the most, the best version of yourself, you know, um, find your wounds, seek healing for them, find what skills you still need to be a better person, whether, you know, whether it's, I, I don't know, just in your personal development, um, you know, grow, just keep growing. That's just going to be the best way you can prepare to be a good gift to your future spouse. Yes. I was thinking about that all within the context of being the gift to a spouse in the sacrament of marriage and how, when you know yourself fully, then how much then more joyfully you can give of yourself in a marriage when you, when you not only are known by your spouse, but then you also are confident in your identity, um, as an individual and as a daughter yeah. of God. Yes. You know, I'm just beginning this program called The Art of Being Woman. I'm a student in this course by January Donovan. Um, uh, she's a graduate at Francis University. So it's been wonderful, too, to just continue that personal development because it doesn't stop when you get married. You know, you need to continue to, to work on yourself. Sarah, I, we're just scratching the surface of what is offered at Cana Feast online and then the wisdom that you have that you share with couples um, together with Nathan when it comes to strengthening your marriage and preparing for marriage, where can listeners find out more about you and Cana Feast online? Well, we are at our website, canafeast.com. And I manage our social media. And I've got to say, I'm a lot more present on Instagram than I am on Facebook. But, you know, I am, <laughs> I don't know what it is, the pretty visuals. I'm not sure. It's more simple interface. But you can always find me there um, unless I'm taking a little break. <laughs> but, those, um, but you can always DM me or, um, you know, just pop in to what's going on on the Cana Feast Instagram handle. Um, and it's just called Cana Feast. And I'm also on Instagram under my own account of Dr. Sarah Bartell. So S-A-R-A-H-B-A-R-T-E-L. And I love interacting with people that I meet on social media. So you're always, you know, listeners are always welcome to DM me with any questions that they have specific to their own situation. Sarah, you know, the one question that I always ask women who come on the podcast as we learn about what the feminine genius means in everyone's daily life, and it, it looks different for each woman. But the question is this, how do you live out the feminine genius in your daily life, especially as a woman helping busy Catholic couples deepen their connection to each other and with God? Well, it's really rooted in prayer. I And 
the prayer is prayer for like, God, help, help me do this. But it's also a prayer of gratitude. I woke up this morning, um, our little one-year-old had woken in the night and instead of nursing him and putting him back in his crib, like I know I should do for my sleep training coach, (laughs) I brought him into our bed. And so, you know, he kind of wiggled there all night long. And I woke up with my husband on one side, my little son on the other, just thankful for the gift of being a woman, thankful for the gift of being a bride, of being a mom. And that's what John Paul II tells us in the, the letter to women, right? Or maybe it's the Miliaris Signatatum. But anyway, that our prayer is like Mary's Magnificat. The Lord has done great things for me. I would say that just thanking God for his many gifts, he's been so good to me. Recognizing what I'm receiving, that helps me live my my own call to be <laughs> a woman better and better. I really connect with Mary's Magnificat. And I just like from any word or moment in the Bible, um, definitely the feast at Cana, the wedding feast at Cana is a big one, but trying to make the Magnificat my own and recognizing and thanking and praising God for the good things he's done in my life is how I strive to live out the feminine genius in my own personal life. I love that. I love how to that pra- that practice of gratitude leads to such joy when it comes to being present in whatever vocation that women are called to, but it's, yeah, especially not, like, for this conversation for marriage and motherhood and just being able to recognize the gifts that those are. That's beautiful. Well, and it's, you say beautiful and that's it, right? Like that is the heart of of our call as women is to show that beauty and it's the beauty of the yes and it becomes concrete in so many ways in the world. Um, Our family went to France uh, several years ago and we got to visit Chartres all together as a family. And as I was inside the cathedral of Chartres, there was actually a priestly ordination happening, which was really cool. I mean, they were still letting us tourists like walk around the perimeter, um, but that was happening. So it was really amazing. And I just had this insight as I was looking at the sting, the beautiful stained glass windows, that the entire cathedral was a Magnificat, that the whole cathedral was singing that word that, you know, the Lord has done great things for me. So yeah, the more we can praise and thank God for his gifts, the more beauty we're going to be bringing into the world. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on this podcast, for coming on Letters to Women and sharing your story. And thank you for your ministry with Cana Feast. I know it's blessing so many couples. And so it's just a joy to get to sit down and, and hear more about the origin story of it and the incredible work that you guys are doing with that. So thank you. Oh, thank you for what you're doing with your podcast. And it's such a joy and a gift to be able to have this conversation with you. Thanks so much, Chloe. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Letters to Women. Head over to letterstowomenpodcast.com and check out this week's show notes. Or if you're listening in a podcast player, just scroll down to browse through links to find Kena Feast and Dr. Sarah online. Hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single new episode. And if you're an Apple user, it would be so appreciated if you left Letters to Women a quick review and let me know how I'm doing in these conversations and tell other Catholic women about why you like listening to Letters to Women. Follow along with the podcast and hear the latest book news over on my Instagram account at letters to women underscore podcast and make sure you hit follow. You're going to want to follow along for those takeover Tuesdays. Thanks so much for joining me. I absolutely love getting to share these conversations with you. And until next time, be not afraid.